Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. This week, we're joined by Bobby Witt Jr., shortstop for the Royals, who's had a terrific latter half of the season. We'll also hear from Bobby Scales, VP of Baseball at SIS. He will talk about some of the things that Bobby Witt Jr. had to say. Enjoy. Things seem to have clicked in a big way for Royals shortstop Bobby Witt Jr. the last couple of months. He's hitting great, and he's played great defense as well. It's a tough year for the Royals, but a lot of positives in his game. Hey, Bobby. Hey, how you doing? We're good. We hope you're doing well, too. Can you tell us, to start things off here, we always ask people to identify for us, just kind of tell us about their favorite defensive play that they made before they made the major leagues. I don't. There's a lot of plays out there that you make that you're kind of proud of. I think a lot of them. There's one I made in AAA where I dove against Iowa Cubs. That was pretty a good play, and there's just... There's just a lot of them, so it's hard to kind of pinpoint just one. Do you do you remember the the first time that you like? What's your earliest baseball memory of, of just playing the field? I was always smaller too, so I had small hands. I was always one of the smaller ones on the team growing up and everything. So coming up, I'd always kind of have a batting glove in my glove and wear that, and then I'd get the Wilson Pedroia fit glove because his hands were smaller, so he had the smaller glove. So that's the kind of that's the glove I used growing up until pretty much I was in high school. Was he a player that you watched a lot? What did you like about his game? Just how high energy he was, how great teammate he was. Just always things were said well with him on and off the field. And just a great guy. It looks like the last couple of months, quite frankly, you look like a different player in some ways than you did from the first year and a half or so that you were in the, the majors. Do things feel differently for you, either at the plate or in the field? Not really, no. Just kind of just... Trusting my talent, trusting my ability, and just not worrying about things. Just being where my feet are, just being there each and every day, and just taking the day pitch by pitch and not really worrying. Because I feel like people just kind of been, they always ask me, oh, what changed? What are you doing differently? Nothing really. It's just me going out there playing baseball. To be honest, your defensive numbers last year weren't particularly good. Was there anything that you took from just kind of getting an understanding of those? Not really. I didn't. Re- I don't really look into the all those numbers and things and that. And so I just, I think at times that last year I was trying to make too many plays and it was costing me. And so just now, just trying to make make the plays I need to make and just make things happen like that and try to help. So I want to talk shop and actually kind of something specific to that. One thing that I've noticed in just trying to watch you closely is that when you throw, you really hone in on the target almost in a way, kind of like a pitcher a little bit, but you like, I, and I've just, it was something I've noticed, particularly on a couple of, of, ni- of the nicer defensive plays that you've made. Are you doing anything that allows you to, to do that better? Or are you doing anything? Is there like some, is there a story behind just how you throw and how you hone in on a target? Not really. I just try to try to hit the guy in the chest every time. I'm not really doing too much. and just trying to finish through the target and follow my throw. So I saw a couple of plays, and I want to ask you about them in particular, if we can get into some specifics of, of things that have happened in games recently. So one was a play, I think this was last week, against the Cubs and Mike Talkman. This one was one of the more impressive slides that I think that I have seen to catch a ball this year. And I was wondering if you could just walk us through that one. Yeah, so it was day game Wrigley, a little bit windy, a little the sun's out. So really, it's just kind of one of those things where don't want to kind of, I know I'm gonna have to start slowing down somehow so I thought just starting my slide a little bit earlier so that I could kind of not be moving my head as much and just try to slide it out and try to catch it while I was sliding and then try to maybe make a play at first too, make a double play 
Now, that, that was an impressive one because you got really good distance, I felt like, on that slide. What's the experience? We talked to Ian Happ about this. What's the experience of playing at Wrigley like? Yeah, it's unbelievable. The crowd's in it every pitch, and so that's it really kind of gets you going. And we were there during the air and water show, so we had planes flying over throughout the whole game, so it's pretty cool. What about in terms of trying to judge the ball with the wind? Yeah, you just got to know where the wind's blowing, what things are doing, like just watch foul balls, see what they do. So that gets to things like pregame prep. Can you walk us through your pregame prep a little bit in terms of specifically what you do in the field as opposed to in, in the cage? Yeah, it just kind of depends on the day. Um, depends on how your body's feeling. If you want to take ground balls, I normally like it. A new place we go to, take ground balls that day. Just kind of see the stadium, how it looks, see how it is. Just kind of take it all and see the grass, feel the dirt and everything. And then like as days go on throughout the series, I'll do like my side work or we'll have a machine out there shooting balls, doing that. Just always trying to do something to kind of get my hands What's the experience of playing at Fenway like? No, it's awesome because I was my team growing up. I grew up a Red Sox fan. My dad beat from Massachusetts. So yeah, playing there and then it was, it was very special. So what, specific to playing in the field, with left field being so close and the left fielder tending to play shallow, how does that adjust how you play? And there's that little, I don't know what you call it, a little carom that comes out behind third base too. So you always got to be aware of that. Ball hits that to kind of take away doubles from that. But then also just knowing that the pop-up up there, you don't have to be as as aggressive to go get or the some shallow. Uh, the other ballparks in the majors, Wrigley and, and Fenway tend to stand out, I would think, for most players. Is there another one that you find particularly interesting, challenging to play? Cleveland, the foul territory is like a rubber, a rubber dirt. So you always got to be kind of weary of that. Yeah, so, but every field is pretty much, we're in the big leagues, so they're all manic- manicured to the finest. And so it's been... It's been really nice. So I saw two plays. I think these are from earlier this month, too. You made a diving stop on an Anthony Rizzo ball in Yankee Stadium. You made another one against Alec Bohm in Philly. And it occurred to me that I felt like you were talking about trying to do too much, that those were two plays in particular that you made this year that last year might have been harder for you. And I'm curious if you remember either of those plays and could walk us through those. Yeah, it's just getting good, good jumps to the ball and just securing the play and then just making a good throw. I think at last year I was trying to catch the ball and make the throw at the same time and where rather know that I feel like I have more time and just knowing the runners in the league, knowing how fast they are and just trying to slow the game down as much as possible because this game could speed up, especially if you're making errors or making outs at the plate or something. So you can't let it really let it speed up on you. Just knowing that mentally you got to be ready each and every pitch. You can never take a pitch off because you could go I think I heard something where it was like you get maybe 200 to 400 plays in the infield a year and there's over 60 or 40,000 pitches thrown. So whatever that percentage is, and that's half in the outfield. So you got to be ready each and every play, but you're not getting the ball. I don't know what percent that you probably, the percent of that, whatever that is, you get the ball that, that many times. So you really just got to stay focused. And I think that's another big thing is just clearing my mind between pitches, but then whenever the pitcher's about to throw, just kind of be ready to get locked in. Do you have any mental tips or tricks or things that you that you do that maybe that would help uh, someone that was young that was trying to kind of learn it? Yeah, just like sometimes I'll look at my glove and I got like my name on it and then the word simple on it because that's kind of like the mantra I go about it. But just keep things simple and just look at it, take a deep breath, and then normally the pitch is back, especially now pitch clock and just I think those those things are trying are, are helping a little bit just with that side. You always got to be locked in. You always got to be ready. And just whether, yeah, I think you're a young kid, just whether looking at the dirt, wiping the dirt with your cleat, swiping off them, that last pitch, that's something else that I kind of do. It's just kind of 
not play with the dirt, but like just kind of swipe the dirt saying, all right, last pitch is over, new page, flip it, there we go. And then just do that however many times if you're feel like in high school, whatever, playing seven innings, probably hundred some pitches. So just kind of be locked in. Do you have a favorite play that you've made in the field this year? I got one other on my list. If, if you want, I, I, there was a play against Hanser Alberto that was really impressive. Though. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that one was that was a good one. Just in the hole early in the year, and it's fun. It's always it's fun making plays for guys that you know, like Anthony Rizzo. He played with the Cubs with my brother-in-law James Russell, so I got to meet him when I was little. And then making a play on him was cool. And then I think I did something to Freddie Freeman too. And then just those plays are always fun, just because you can kind of go back and forth with them. And I think. When I did it to Freddie, he goes, man, we need those hits. I was like, dude, you lead the league at hits every year. Come on, now, or something like that. So anytime you get to kind of do that, it's pretty it's pretty special. That's a good story. Are there any other players that you've had uh, particularly good interactions? Has anyone robbed you of a hit where you're like, oh, man, kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like you get robbed quite a bit, whether it's an outfielder, the outfielders making great plays or infielders, whatever it is. But I think Volpe made a nice play on me in New York. We were in the ninth inning, runner on second. I think I hit a ball in the hole. He dove, slid for. I thought he was going to try to come to first and get me out, but he got the guy at second and, and did the game. So, yeah, that was a nice play by Volpe. And I oh, nice. And and he's had a particularly impressive defensive season this year, too. Now, there are a couple other Royals that have actually looked really good on D in the last couple of months, too. Can you tell us what it's like to, to watch Kyle Isbell in center field? Yeah, it's great. I've been watching him for the past three, four years-ish, just with alternate site during COVID, he was making plays out there. And then seeing him his rookie year making plays and then last last two years playing with them in the big leagues. It's been it's been great. Just the jumps he gets. Sometimes you don't think he's gonna get to the ball and then there he is. He just it's like he just he takes off where the ball he where he thinks the ball's gonna be and which is which is I think a special thing that you can do as an outfielder. You see a lot of those guys. I got to see Michael Taylor do that too last year, which was pretty special. Another guy that, that's been particularly good since he came up and who I think can rival you speed-wise, Dyron Blanco. What are you? What impresses you about him? Yeah, he's been great. I played with him a little bit last year and then this year. So yeah, this is great speed. Yeah, and he's, he's and his defensive numbers are good. And he's seven years older than you too. So. Yeah. And then there was one other, I, Salvi, obviously the legend behind the plate, but Firmin has been particularly good defensively too. Is there anything that impresses you about how he catches? Yeah, just his his arm behind the plate. He's been throwing out runners left and right. I feel like this year, you definitely can tell runners are kind of hesitating whenever he's behind the plate. That's definitely right out of the Salvador Perez book as well. A couple more things just to to wrap up here. Who's influenced you the most defensively since you became a pro? I would say just there's just a lot of people. Just whether it's from my dad to our coaching our coaching staff throughout the whole entire thing. I first started in uh, AZL with uh, Tony Pena Jr. He was our manager and he worked with me a lot one-on-one and pretty much all of our staff that we had out there, our infield coordinators and everything. But yeah, me and Pena got to kind of relate more just with his dad being big leagues, my dad being big leagues, just kind of following those footsteps of that type of thing. And he kind of taught me the ways, just kind of how, how to become a big leaguer, kind of start my career there. And then just throughout the minor league, my minor leagues, just all the coaching that I've had has been great and then you get in the big leagues it's been it's been great with we had uh, Vance Wilson as our defensive guy last year um, he helped me a lot throughout things we were really working hard to just try to figure out how to be a big leaguer how to be at first learning a new position at third base throughout spring training and stuff and that and then going back to short and just trying to get back comfortable being a big league shortstop and then 
this year we have Jose Iwasil, but then we still have Vance Wilson there as our, they're both kind of working, but then now Jose Iwasil took over kind of the defensive spot. He's just kind of teaching me a lot of like a lot of routine work that we can get into a lot of different drills to try to help me just, I think better the first step, first step things, slowing down the game, making the work that we're doing in practice harder than we're doing in the game so that so that when the game comes, the game's easier. And so it's just those little things I've been helping throughout with uh, with Augie this year. It's been great. And just the players he's worked with, he's worked with the Brandon Crawfords and those guys that won a lot of gold gloves and just great in World Series, So, which is pretty special just to have him. What's the, what's something that, that you do drill-wise to slow down the game? Like I said, with the machine stuff, doing a lot of things quick and then short fungo, getting more reps, less amount of time and that type of thing. Gotcha. And last question, just what are you looking, everyone's going to say, oh, I'm looking to get better at every aspect of my game. Is there one specific thing where you're like, I'd like to just get a little bit better at this before the end of the season? I think it's just, like you said, a lot of things, just, just continually being myself, just continue staying in my routine, not, not, oh, it's in the year, take a day off. No, just staying, staying true to myself, keep, keep taking things day by day and not really worrying about what's tomorrow, what happened yesterday, or what's even to come later on. Just worried about where I'm at. Bobby Witt Jr., thank you for joining us. We'll certainly be following you closely this year and for, I imagine, many, many years beyond. Good luck. Thank you. SIS VP of Baseball Bobby Scales joins us for his weekly segment, and uh, we like to dissect the interviews that we just did. This one with Bobby Witt Jr., Bobby Scales, has a lot to say about it. Let's start with this. I know that something, some things that he said reminded you of something that Joe Madden likes to talk about regarding the phases of being an MLB player. What do you got on that? Yeah, it was, this was a great interview, and Mark, thanks for having me again, as, as always. Yeah, so, you know, he talked about Bobby, Bobby Witt Jr., talked about you know, trusting my talent and being where my feet are and, and just feeling more comfortable. Cause you asked him, you know, you know, what's the difference between this year and last year? He's a young kid. He, you know, you know, he, he hasn't, he probably doesn't in the midst of it, he doesn't realize these things, but he's, he spit gold when he was talking to you because, you know, just, I'm just, I'm the same guy as I was this year. I'm just feeling more comfortable. And, and to me, the first thing I thought of is something that Joe Madden talks about. He said this in his book. He's also said this in, in various, he said it in his introductory press conference when he got to the Angels, and it's something clearly that's a, the basis of his belief system and leadership thought. But it's when you when he breaks it down, it's 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 golden. So, you know, the first stage of that of being a big leaguer is you know just being happy to be here. You know, you've got the journey, it's been the dream all these years, so you're just happy to be here. So you're kind of kind of just doing your thing a little bit, trying not to get in the way this, that, and the other. Even if, whether you're a prospect or you're a guy like myself who got to the big leagues late in his career. Doesn't matter. You're just happy to be here at first. Second stage is survival mode. And this is an important stage. You're trying to, you know, you see this a lot with, with guys who just get there. It's, it's, it's the third deck. It's the really bright light. It's all this other things. It's guys who you've seen on TV. It's guys with better stuff and nasty stuff. It's guys who hit the ball harder. You're just trying to survive. You're trying to, you're really trying to swim in that environment as opposed to sink and fail. And then the third, the third stage is, okay, I've had a little success. I know I can do this. I belong here and I can stay here. You know, and, and it's just like what it sounds like. There's a couple, there's a couple seminal moments that you have as a player. Like, yeah, you know what? I can do this here. The fourth stage is I want to make as much money as I possibly can. And that's self-explanatory. Who doesn't want to do that regardless of industry, right? And the fifth stage is all I want to do is win. And that's at the end of the day, you're willing to do whatever you, you can to help this team win and help this team, you know, get to the, to the promised land of winning a world series or whatever that looks like. Right. Again, these are Joe Madden's. These are not mine. I'm not purporting these to be mine, but this is just something when he said that I went looking for this because it, it, it resonated with me. 
Joe always says, he says the key, the key to these steps is getting guys out of step stage two, which is survival mode and stage four as soon as possible to having a productive winning organization with guys that can, that can do things at a high level. What I heard in that interview is, is Bobby Witt Jr. is getting out of stage two and he's getting into stage three. I belong here and I can do this. And his belong in the big leagues and doing it is doing it at a really high level because the good Lord blessed him with tools and a skill set that are really, really top tier. I mean, it's all over the field. There's not a lot on the baseball field Bobby Witt Jr. can't do. And he's starting to prove that now, not just to everybody watching, but to himself, which is the most important thing. And so when you do that, you allow yourself to relax and just almost go on cruise control. And and you're seeing a really good player come out right now. And that is seen in how he's making plays. And we talked to him a little bit about that. And I know that one thing that you were impressed with with him was particularly going in one direction and also just staying straight on how he's making those plays. What did you see? Well, definitely. I mean, obviously, you know, from, from an, a subjective point of view, I was able to go in there with the Tigers earlier this year in my broadcast responsibilities and had a four game series in there and watched him play very well. And it, there's, there's two things that stood out. Number one, he had a, he had a tough series at the plate that series. He hasn't had a lot of tough series plays and really good, really productive offensively, but he had a tough series at the plate. And one of the, one of my key markers is if you're a player, if you're an everyday player, and I think this is kind of the, the delineation between everyday players and guys who aren't, does your B day have value is a day where you're not as productive as you would like to be offensively, do you still do things, whether it be defensively or running the bases that can give your team an opportunity to win or at least save runs or take runs away or take hits away from the other team? And he did that. He got the, he got the fourth day off. It was a day game on getaway day, but he got the fourth game off. But the three days he, he took an offer, but I think he walked and cup, stole a couple bags, made a couple really nice plays, made a really nice play just to knock a play that a ball down keep it in the infield and save the run. And next a couple of pitches later, got to pop up to get out of the inning, save the runs. That's your B day having value. The second thing with me, if you, if you want to take a, a objective look at it for, from our, you know, from the numbers, our, our DRS totals here at SIS, he's significantly better in two things. The ball that's coming to him to straight on, he is two, he is six points better than he was a year ago at that ball. And then the ball to his left, uh, he's seven points better than he was a year ago at shortstop on that ball. Now, what you know from just being in the game for a period of time, most young players have two struggles. One, the game is really fast when you get there, right? And it's really fast. You have to slow the game down your mind. Man. Second one is when you see a young player, more often than not, they struggle with what you would term the routine play. More errors are made straight on into a player's glove hand side because they're going either towards second base, which could be one of the targets, or they're going towards first base, which could be another one of their targets. And in a player's mind, that's an easier play than going to your right and going to your back end. He's better to his back end side significantly from a year ago as well, but straight on and to his left, he's made a huge improvement. And that means one thing, he's making the more routine plays more routine. When you hit a ball, the shortstop in the major leagues and it's right at him or slightly to his left, that's got to be an out. A hundred times out of a hundred times, it's getting much more consistent with him. And for me, it goes back to point one: the game is slowing down for Bobby Witt Jr. You love to see it, the young player. Very few young players just come to the big leagues, and they just had that slow heartbeat, and it's already slow, and you don't have to worry about it. We talk a lot about this young man on this podcast, Cabrian Hayes. I was, I there's there's others. I just happened to watch this happen uh, in a, in in you know from a pirate player development perspective when I was working there. 
him go to the big leagues and not miss a beat defensively. It was very, it was incredible to watch him just make that transformation. Most young players are like Bobby Witt Jr. It's super fast when you get there, super fast when you get there. And, and he's doing a really nice job of slowing the game down. And, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to watch good players get better, especially at his age and what can be in front of them. I would make the point that most jobs, the job slows down for you after a little bit. Same kind of, the same kind of thing. And Major League Baseball, it's it's a different kind of job than minor league baseball. Uh, it's, it's a di- I mean, it's, it, you're, you're absolutely right about that point. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what you do. You want to think about it. You get a new job, you go into, a, a, you know, we're not going into the office anymore, but you're starting a new job. You want to make a good impression with your with your coworkers. You want to do a great job. You've got 98 different things and and and. And in the first few weeks of a new job, you just need to remember your password and turn your computer on the right way. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. And, and so, and so, you know, just imagine when you're, when you're Bobby Wood Jr., you're a young player, you've got all the hype. Your dad was a, was a, was a really good big leaguer in his own right. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. Oh yeah. You got to play well at shortstop and third base for him now shortstop every day. And it's good to see him, you know, coming to his own. He didn't really talk about it, but I do. Uh, and I, I did allude to it that I enjoy watching the way that he throws because it really seems like he hones in on his target. Then he does it quickly, but in a way, as as you said, where the game does seem slowed down for him. If you watch last year to this year, you can see just a very subtle difference of a half second or so where he's making the play this year. Here you have a story that I just wrote down two words, and it relates to Bobby Witt Jr. The dot. Yes, the dot. So Bobby Bobby talked about in his interview. You know, he's got him. It, it's got simple written on his glove. And w- what that is, you know, a lot of in the, in the sports performance community, people always talk about the mental reset. There needs to be a reset, whether you do something really well or whether you do something really poorly to snap you back and bring you back into the moment, be where your feet are. Okay, that was really good or that wasn't so good. Okay, that's okay. That's can't do anything about that. Boom. He looks down at his glove. He's got the word simple written on his glove. My college hitting coach, Chris Harrison, he was our college hitting coach and also our infield coach at the University of Michigan. He would make all of us put a dot on our gloves right under, you know, we we were a Rawlings school at the time and we had Michigan stitched where normally you would see Rawlings and he would make us all put a dot on our gloves. And that dot represented the work in the fall, the individual work over the winter time, all the ground balls you take in the springtime, getting ready for a game. You've made these plays that happened in the game a thousand times. And here's the reality of the situation. You're going to mess some of them up. You're going to make errors. It's part of the game it is what it is. What you can't do is you can't continue to live in that space and dwell on it, right? And so that dot represented all the work you've put in. Don't forsake all the work you've done because you make one error on one play. Look at that dot, mental reset, and go about your business and continue to, to continue to be the player that you're capable of being. For Bobby Wood Jr., it's simple. He writes simple on his glove. Slow it down. A, B, C, catch the ball, move your feet, throw it. And, and he didn't say that. And he made his, his A, B, C may be something else. That was something that I used to use when I would get a little quick, just catch it, move your feet, throw it. And it's good to see that he's got that mental reset. It's great to see that I'm, I'm sure somebody within, you know, Kansas City player development or mental, mental performance has poured into him and he's taken that and, and written that on his glove and that's his mental reset. And it's, it's good to see young players doing stuff like that. And lastly, you appreciated something that he said at the very end of the interview. I, I, I don't want to say I did this because of you, but I knew that you were going to bring it up. So I, I had him speak to player development and the people that have helped him along the way. Yeah, that was, that was tremendous. And, and people don't realize, and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old PD guy. You guys, by now, if you don't know my, my, my backstory, once I stopped playing, I was, I was director of player development for the Angels. And then 
left there and went to, to Pittsburgh and, and did another stint in player development over there. So obviously we, you know, we love our brothers in scouting. They get us some really good clay to work with. Scouting's the lifeblood of this game, but they got to get better. You don't draft ready-made big leaguers. Even most college players aren't even real close to, to playing in the big leagues. You know, there's, there's the, there's the, the chosen few, but not many. And there's a lot of development that needs to get had. And nobody really sees the hours, especially with the high school players and the international kids that they spend on field Z at the spring training complex in Arizona at 115 degrees. And you got to get the work done because you got to get, you got to help the player get better. And, you know, Bobby Witt Jr. mentioned his, his Arizona league manager, Tony Pena Jr., obviously big league lineage, both with his dad and then himself as well. And the work they put in, he mentioned Vance Wilson, Wilson, and then he mentioned Jose Aguasil, who's helped him in the big leagues as well. And and development doesn't stop when a player gets to the big leagues. Yeah, the pressure's on, you got to win, but you still have to make that last leap to get out of stage two, as Joe Madden says, and prove to yourself that you can do be here and do these things that you're not just in survival mode. And and a great job by all these, the, the, the men he mentioned uh, and the people he didn't mention. And I'm sure it was no slight on his part, but it's just, there's probably too many to mention. But I think it's great when a young player really goes back to the very beginning and, you know, you asked him who helped him along the way. And he went all the way back to chain link in Arizona when those guys show up. And, and like I said, you're doing all that work and it's hot and it's, you, you love the game, but those are the, those are the moments you're questioning. Did I do the right thing? Do I really want to be out here? And, and you fight through it and you end up being the kind of player that he's on his way to end up being. So just, you know, like I said, the player development guy in me, Love to give those guys recognition and a hat tip. And so there you go, fellas. Last question, just to wrap things up. We had the home run robbery record broken. We had 20 seasons worth of data. We've got 70 this year at the time that we're talking. The previous mark was 69 in 2019. Not necessarily tied to this year, but who do you like as favorite home run robbery? Well, one of my favorites of all time. And I, you know, I don't really, having worked in this industry for almost 25 years now, I don't really fanboy over anybody. But when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in Atlanta and I'm a, you know, I was a Detroit Tiger fan as well. And I would say I work for them now uh, on the broadcasting side. But my guy was Eric Davis and Barry Larkin. And I'll never forget the Braves were, were in Cincinnati one night. And, you know, this is back in, I'm 45. So, you know, this is back on the TBS days and the 705 starts with Skip Carey and, and Don Sutton and the like. I think it was Sid Bream or somebody. I'm not exactly sure, but he hit a, just a towering drive to, to center field and ED went back. Broke back on the ball, looked up, ran right to the spot in the wall, and then made this just ridiculous catch. It looked like he probably could have dunked the basketball and then some, but just absolutely robbed Sid Bream of a homer. And like I said, ED was my guy, man. He was my guy, and and, and he was my favorite player. 44 Magnum poster still folded up in the, in a box somewhere in my parents' basement. But that was my dude, and and just watching him rob that homer, I was going bananas. I'll never forget, I was, I was going bananas. My dad was watching it with me, and... And it was just a really cool moment. It's some stuff, some stuff when you're a kid, you don't forget. And that was one of them for me. And I had the chance to meet him a couple of years ago when I was working with the Pirates. I was in watching our AAA club and, and they were in Louisville. He's a special assistant for the Reds. That was my, uh, ED, he was my guy, man. So uh, that's, he's probably one of my favorites of all time. Let me ask you this as a player on the field, because I was just thinking about this. I remember I was at a game once where Lance Johnson made a home run robbery against Tim yep. Malik. And off the bat, like, as soon as he started back, I was like, he's getting this one. He's, he's going to catch it. And I'm curious what the feeling is like on the field, kind of watching it as it unfolds, as one is about to happen. Yeah, you get that sense for sure. You get that sense for sure. I know I, I can give you exactly. Sam Fold, we're in trip. We're in Iowa one night, and Sam Fold was playing center field in AAA, 
we weren't we, we weren't in Iowa because that wall was too high. It was somewhere I can't remember where we were, but I'm playing second base and that ball goes up. And first of all, you know your guys. I knew that like if the ball was in the ballpark and it was between the gaps, Sammy had a chance at it. That's just he was that good. He's you know, obviously the, G, the GM of the Philadelphia Phillies now, but he was that good. And the ball was high enough to where I knew he had time. And so I, I would usually watch the ball would go up. So you know where the ball is going. The ball's not going to ab- abruptly change directions. So when a ball went in the outfield, what I normally did as a second baseman or even as an infielder, period, I watched the fielder. The fielder will tell you if he's got a chance to catch it or not. Yep. And so his body language was telling me, I, I'm going to get this thing. If, it, if, I, if I don't get it, it's because it's too high. And, and I can't remember where it's bothering me now, but I might have been in Albuquerque because that fence is low in center field. But sure enough, I mean, he went back to the spot and he jumped up and he caught the thing on the fence and, and everybody was going bananas. And I, I'm not going to say I wasn't surprised, but I was like, the second that ball was hit and he took off and I saw the way he was going at it in his byline, which is like, he's got a chance to get this thing. And yep. so, yeah, as it, on the field, you have a, you know, you know which ones, you know which balls have a chance to get caught. And then the second you look at your, your, you know, your teammate out there in, in whatever field, whether it's right, center or left, you know, it's got, you've got, this guy's got an opportunity at it by the way he's going about it. Cool. Bobby Scales, thank you for taking the time to join us. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Mark. Always a pleasure. I mentioned to Bobby that there have been 70 home run robberies this season, including balls that weren't caught, but were basically knocked down. That's the most we've ever tracked. The record was 69 in 2019. Let me just run through a couple of leaders. The leaderboard for individual players this season, a bunch of players have three. Mickey Moniak, Luis Robert Jr., Mike Trout, Cedric Mullins, and Kyle Tucker. The Angels as a team have nine home run robberies. That's the most. The Tigers have seven. The White Sox and the Mariners have each lost six home runs to potential robberies this season. And obviously, that number is just going to keep climbing, the 70 that we've had so far. And this wraps up the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at SIS underscore baseball or Mark A. Simon Says. Read our work online at sportsinfosolutions.com. For Bobby Witt Jr., Bobby Scales, and our producer Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.